Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any one 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution for recovery. We want to welcome as many disciplines at work as there are people recovering. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance at recovering. That's a lot of recovering in that paragraph. I'll look at that later. This hour is designed to share ideas and opinions in an open, unedited format about the many realities of recovery from the perspectives of those who live it, have lived it, and possibly may find ourselves in the future. Regardless of where you are right now, where you're going, or where you've been, we want to welcome one and all. We hope to reach people from those who may never have stepped into a recovery meeting to the long-timer in recovery. We want to illuminate the process by sharing as many of the human triumph stories as we can, to let it be known that we can and do recover from that state of desperation and hopelessness. Personally, I've been sober and recovering for 14 years. It is much simpler living life sober when I put effort into recovering. I wander into all kinds of anonymous meeting rooms, facilitate several types of groups, hear amazing stories from incredible humans, and every time I am able to listen, I am grateful to hear how brave and resilient my fellows are. Tonight's guest is my friend and a true soldier for recovery. Her name is Holly. She developed the addiction recovery program where she works against the types of odds most of us may never encounter. She stood open and honest, saying she wanted to help others who are suffering. She did that by telling her story to a large audience. Hello, Holly. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Nice. <laughs> okay, so that she's obviously not talkative yet, so we're going to ply her with <laughs> coffee and hopefully get her yammering. Uh, please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. We are hoping to honor all people in the process, wherever they might be at within recovery. In order to provide our guests and listeners with a sincere and genuine experience, all persons involved in the podcast have a right to their opinions, and we ask you all to understand that in fact, we are all really just sharing opinion. We define recovery as a, any process of adjusting to changes in life after a life event or events which have caused residual trauma of any kind in the individual's life. This can include, but is not exclusive to, alcoholism, chemical dependencies, process addictions, which is behavioral, mental illness, codependency, medical challenges, grief, etc., the list could go on infinitum. The individuals on this program may use strong language, adult themes, and situations, <laughs> as well as stories of death and dying, and many other types of human tragedy. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian, or have the explicit permission of those individuals. All right, now that's over with. <laughs> now it's about Holly. So tell us about yourself. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, what can I say? Um, I have been in recovery now for six years in November. Right on. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I do, I work in law enforcement mm -hmm. right now and I call Calgary home and I've been here for 20 years now. I'm originally from New Brunswick, 
Oh, my goodness. I'm an Easterner. So how long did it take you to learn English when you came here? <laughs> no, I'm not a newfie. I'm from New Brunswick. Oh, there's a difference? There is a difference. Well, yes, my accent's not that strong, and it was yeah. gone. It is within, gone, so. Yeah, within moments kid, of being so here. east of Calgary is like Nova Scotia, basically. <laughs> right? Yeah, sorry. I get it. It's all good. Um, yeah, and I, I love it. I love Calgary, and... Um, yeah, this recovery stuff is quite a journey mm-hmm. that I'm taking, but I am very blessed and grateful now um, to be what do you in mean recovery. Now? What does that mean? Um, well, when I first found out and was diagnosed a severe alcoholic, I was extremely angry. I didn't think that could possibly be true, mm. and I fought it tooth and nail. Um, when it finally did get to the point where you know, I woke up one day and went, ha, 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 I am, <laughs> I am definitely an alcoholic. I don't know how I ever thought I wasn't an alcoholic. And, um, and I'm just, I'm grateful because mm-hmm. my life now is so good, mm-hmm. so good. And I look back and I don't even know how I made it through all the years of life that I had made it through Mm. to that point where I hit a really bad rock bottom without recovery. Like I was such a twisted kind of mess. Mm. So I just didn't know better. Right. Mm. So, so how long did it take and what happened? Um, what was it like before you got sober? Well, my first drink I can tell you was when I was 13 years old Mm. and it was a blackout. Really? Yes. First time, eh? First time drinking. I was 13 years old and it was a blackout drunk. And my very last drunk was a blackout drunk. So that just (laughs) show you my career of drinking. It was pretty brutal. Um, But yeah, I started drinking when I was 13. And even after a blackout, horrible things happened during that blackout. 13 years old, you know, I, I drank moonshine of all things. Where'd you get moonshine? I, right? I don't even know. You must have been from New Brunswick. <laughs> oh, definitely from New Brunswick. <laughs> at, at a friend's house, and it was their, her parents, I don't know, mm-hmm. they used to make moonshine, and uh, yeah, I got drunk, and I remember, no, I don't remember, I was blackout drunk, but during that blackout, I, um, I actually had gone to the bathroom on her parents' chair. Oh. Oh, yeah, right in the middle of the, oh. yeah, their living room. While they were and there like, watching? no, no. Oh my God, I, I just had this picture of the family sitting around watching you pee on the chair. No, no, the family wasn't there. Definitely the parents weren't there. It was oh, just me God. and my friend getting drunk on their moonshine and yeah. peeing all over their furniture. Like, <laughs> kind of like leaving your dog at home and that's... <laughs> Except they didn't have a dog. I'm so glad I can laugh about it now. because <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty brutal. But you were 13. I was 13. And, uh, the, and the crazy thing was, is that that happened and then... I just kept, I kept going, mm. kept going right with it. So, yeah. um, yeah, I had a really good drinking career for a lot of years and, um, it always, everything, everything bad that happened in my life that I can think of, like everything bad, mm. I can always equate it when I think back to alcohol. Really? Hey? Yeah. All the things, all the things that I remember like being devastated over, Mm. And the bad choices and I can, it all stems back to alcohol and my, um, I call him my demon 
And I know that freaks people out sometimes. Yeah. Because I wasn't. I <laughs> You're like, Darcy. yeah. He's getting twitchy. He's a little freaked out over there. As soon as the word demon came up. Like, no, it's. <laughs> We're in a church. Hey, don't say it. Hey, you know what? It was one of the things when I was in treatment mm-hmm. for my alcoholism. I remember the counselors. I would call them my little demon. It was the only way I could wrap my head around mm-hmm. the fact they were telling me that. I wasn't this bad person, that I had a disease, my, you know, my brain tells me to do things. The only way that I could figure it out for myself was to call him my demon in my head. Mm-hmm. And I remember the counselors, because every time I go to group therapy or something, I'd be like, yeah, my demon today is telling me to do this. And, oh, and I don't, and I'm trying to shut him up. And, I'm, and the counselors took me aside and they're like, okay, Holly, you're starting to scare people in treatment with you. So you need yeah. to stop calling it your demon. And I'm like, what? That's not fair. Cause that's, that's Cause the only way I could like figure it out. And yeah, you, you know what they were saying it. to me, yeah. I had to like make it yeah. something because I'm, I couldn't, I couldn't separate myself from being a, just a bad person mm-hmm. and an alcoholic. I thought I was just a piece of shit, bad mm-hmm. person. So, um, so yeah. So I, from the time I was 13 till I was 32, when I went into recovery, um, I, I drank. And it's a, long time. It's good. it's a long time. And one of the things that, you know, I've heard this in the program before too, and it's, it makes sense to me. First, alcohol is fun, mm-hmm. and then alcohol is fun with problems. And then alcohol is just problems. And that's exactly what my drinking career looked like. And my whole thing is why I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to believe that I was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. was the whole, um, fact that I wasn't to me and my very alcoholic black and white thinker that I was by Mm -hmm. the end, I wasn't like the guy under the bridge with the brown paper bag. I hadn't lost everything. I, you know, never went to work hungover. Like I would plan my drunks accordingly. And I had very strict rules around my drinking, which can be found in the big book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, if you drank before chapter three, yeah, like more if you, <laughs> about alcoholism, if you want to know, well, if you drank before noon in my, in my world, if you drank before noon, you were an alcoholic. If you drank alone, you're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So I had to make sure that these things didn't happen. So I would go out of my way to like pay for my friends to come out to drink with me if they didn't have any money. Things like that. Because if I drank alone, <laughs> that would mean I'm an alcoholic. I kind of wish we were friends. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Man, free booze is always nice. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. No, it was a long drinking career, but had a hard time with the with ever believing that I was Mm -hmm. and it took um it took a really bad rock bottom but uh I mean I quit drinking for two years too Mm -hmm. what made you do that so I quit drinking for two years this is I love it I love the warped alcoholic mind it is unbelievable when you're Mm -hmm. deep into your addiction and you look back and you think and you say stuff out loud and you're like oh my god that's so messed up but I would never have admitted to you that I was an alcoholic, not in a million years. But when I drank, I was a complete shit show. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you used <laughs> I know it you're I smiling, gonna, Dave. Yeah, you're, you're, we were waiting for me to do it. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Dave's to... nickname for me is shit show. Yeah. Just so you guys know out there. Um, <laughs> it's the black hole in the kettle black, let me tell you. <laughs> but that's what it is. Yes, I was uh, definitely a shit show when I drank. So. I wanted to get into law enforcement Mm -hmm. and, um, my warped thinking, um, 
told me that I needed to, I, I had to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. I wasn't an alcoholic, but I had to quit drinking because I wanted to get into law enforcement. And the only way I could get into law enforcement is if I didn't drink, because when I drank, I was a total shit show. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want anything to hold me back from getting into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So I quit drinking for two years while I was going through the process of trying to get into law enforcement. And uh, as soon as I got into law enforcement... <laughs> I was like, okay, game on. I can drink. Nothing can touch me now. Um, But to backtrack on that, I think, you know, anyone who's really into the world of addiction and understands it, um, you know, and I believe myself um, that it stems back, you know, there's factors um, for being an addict, things mm-hmm. that can stem back to, and that can be childhood trauma, vicarious trauma, genetics, mm-hmm. environment, like all these things will help and um, basically set the stage for somebody mm-hmm. to be an addict. I truly believe that. And I am, um, I call myself the perfect storm because I have all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I have, I've had the addict, uh, the addict thinking as far, as long as I can remember, and um, really, really warped thinking. And Can you I, describe a little bit what that's like for people who might not know? Sure. I guess um, looking back, um, I, hate, I hated myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't look in the mirror. I was fearful of everything. So I didn't... I always felt not good enough. I always thought that people were talking about me behind my back. I always felt unloved. I always felt... Like, I can't remember a time where I ever felt... Um, love for myself or, or, um, not fearful of something. I was terrified of life. Mm-hmm. I lived in a constant state of anxiety. Um, I just faked it. I almost feel like before I sobered up, the me that I was then was a really good actress mm-hmm. because I faked life. I've always had a very big, bubbly personality. People have always liked me. But I never felt that way. Mm-hmm. I would fake it. I feel like when I laughed at something, it was false. Mm-hmm. It was fake up until the point where I found recovery and really understood what it was like to live. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, and this is coming back to that warped thinking and mm-hmm. stuff, and why I quit for, you know, I quit for those two years to get into law enforcement was I felt like I was going to get back or get, not get back, because I never had it as long mm-hmm. as I can, I never felt good enough or felt I like I liked myself at all. Yeah. Um, I f- I felt like if I got into law enforcement, that would be that would make me mm-hmm. that person I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It would make me a better person. Mm-hmm. It would make me something. Yeah. In this life, because I felt like nothing all mm-hmm. the time. I'm not gonna to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so when I, I, I actually made it into law enforcement, um, yeah, it was game on. Yeah. I started drinking right away again because I already I got what I wanted. Yeah. I quit drinking for two years because I didn't want anything to affect getting into law enforcement and then, mm-hmm. you know, got into it. And, and I'm like, okay, I can drink now. No big deal. Like nothing's going to touch me now. I felt like I had. Yeah. But uh, as you know and everyone knows – I had to find within myself that love for myself. Mm. Nothing outward was going to give that to me. And if anything, I picked a career that was extremely hard for someone like me, Mm. where I'm in constantly was being scrutinized by 
peers and the public and um, and for somebody who never felt good enough about themselves, for somebody who always felt worthless mm-hmm. and like a piece of shit their entire life, it was the worst. Mm-hmm. I was in a constant state of going home and crying because, I, again, it just fed into my I don't feel good enough because mm-hmm. one little thing would happen that I should be able to deal with and I couldn't deal with it. And that just made the drinking get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And then I'd see horrible, horrible things at work. So the drinking got worse and worse and worse. and worse. It just, it was an absolute spiral. I went through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, drinking got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a very fast downward spiral. Did it so. pick up speed when you went back to it after the two years? It did, actually. Yeah. And I hear that in the rooms now. Yeah. That if you go, yeah, like if you go back out, it's like you never even stopped. You just pick up right where you left off. And then what terrifies me and some of the stuff that I hear in the rooms, you know, I'm an AA girl, um, is they go, you you go out and so quickly and rapidly you die Mm -hmm. after you go back. So that terrifies me. But after quitting for those two years and looking back at that, oh my God, it, it was like, it was like my alcoholism was on speed. Mm-hmm. It was like, <laughs> it yeah. just it just went. It was so fast. And I used my divorce and the horrible things I'd see at work and my thoughts of never being good enough. And I used all of that to just, to drink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and just considered myself the party girl yeah. because I didn't drink every day like some other people. Some they were, you know. And- yeah, it was. Yeah. Bi- I'm, I'm a binge drinker. Yeah. That's what I am. So once I would start drinking, I couldn't stop. Yeah. And uh, yeah, binge drinker all the way. I can see though the progression mm-hmm. of where I was going, where it would have been more and more drinking. Like yeah. it, w- I, there's, there's no doubt in my mind, I would not have ever been yeah. an everyday drinker. Or I don't even think I would have gotten that point mm-hmm. because I was. The binging was so bad. The blackouts were getting so bad that I would be dead before that would have happened. Yeah. Before I would have gotten to that point. Because the binging was so bad and the blackouts were so bad yeah. at the end. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. <laughs> it I believe it's same boat, right? Like it yeah. just gets so bad. You eventually you're going to off yourself one way or another. Yeah. Right? And before, right before I hit my rock bottom, I was so twisted up that I, I was definitely suicidal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? What was your rock bottom? So... Um, for me, and I've like, like I've obviously told you guys, I, I understand now why I got into my career, mm-hmm. um, why I did it in the first place. But now like I do, I mean, I do absolutely love mm-hmm. what I do and it was the proudest moment of my life was to get into law enforcement mm-hmm. after a hard struggle to get there. Yeah. Um, and even though I know I, I did it for to make me outwardly feel like a better person and to feel good about myself, um, I do truly now do feel good about myself mm-hmm. for doing this career because it's it's amazing and I love it. Um, and I'll never forget, I'd have to preface this, I'll never forget the looks on my parents' faces when I graduated, Mm -hmm. um, into the law enforcement field, um, that day. Uh, (laughs) and that was, that's what always gets me. That's what always, that gets me when I think about it. I want to cry actually, because Mm -hmm. my parents, I I know at one point they were like, 
they thought I was going to go the other way. Like I was going to be like a truck addict mm. on the street. Like yeah. I was going to be lost into a world of crime and drugs. Mm. And um, they really wondered about me, I know. So that day when I got into law enforcement and they watched me graduate into it um, and seeing their faces, I'll never forget that. See, I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry. That's okay if you cry. cry. You want some Kleenex? It's, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Um that got me and that will always get me because I know that they were what they were like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, thank God she went this way and it's an honorable way to have gone mm-hmm. and, and she did it kind of thing. So, um, so it, my career means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. It means everything to me. And, um, my rock bottom was, I won't get into it in too many details, but working in law enforcement, um, I, uh, it'd been years now of blackout drunks where I just didn't have any consequences, Mm -hmm. but I I mean, I'd almost punched out bridesmaids at weddings, like, um, getting drunk at a wedding and just being ridiculous, almost punched, uh, punched out a few bridesmaids at a wedding that I was at. So you didn't punch one of them? No, I actually didn't. I I tried. It didn't work. I think I was too drunk to even, it was awful. (laughs) I have called... (laughs) I have called, I have, I've called my friends horrible names. I've Mm. lost friends Mm. all like all in these years of working in law enforcement and being a drunk. And, uh, and, um, I went away on vacation. I, um, actually physically, I broke one of my ankles and sprained the other one and ended up in a wheelchair Mm. on vacation and came back and had to be, um, do modified, uh, work duties for six months Mm. like I mean it was bad but there was no consequences to my actions and not enough people were saying oh it's because of the booze because of the booze so to me like even my family was saying stuff I'm like no 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 just brush it off and in the culture and law enforcement that I have that I'm surrounded by I mean that was just laughed off like ah that's crazy that's a crazy situation you know so I was like yeah it was that's all it was just crazy situation Mm -hmm. (laughs) and stuff like that so um all these bad things were happening I was losing friends rapidly and um and then the the kicker was um even through all that I look back and go god I should have stopped then or figured Mm -hmm. something out with this stuff um it was getting worse and worse was um I ended up in a blackout drunk and um, I woke up in jail in a different area mm-hmm. of Alberta. And um, I, when I woke up, I was, I was beaten, bloody, I was missing mm-hmm. eyelashes, like I was an absolute disaster. I was mm-hmm. freezing cold, I was lying on the floor of a jail cell. And like I said, like that, all I ever wanted, the only thing I've ever worked towards, like I ever did in my life towards anything was towards getting into law enforcement. And I woke up, um, in this situation Mm -hmm. and it was the absolute worst day of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's good. I I tell my story so many times and I still, Mm -hmm. I tear up, but to me, I know it's good to, to tear up because this keeps my rock bottom fresh in my head. It's been mm-hmm. six years and I, it still affects me like this. Mm-hmm. And that's good. I never want to forget it yeah, right because I, I, I don't ever want to go back out. When I think, 
oh, that beer looks really good or that patio looks really good. I'm going to sit on that frigging patio during the summer. I remember mm-hmm. waking up that morning and I don't want that goddamn beer. It's not taking me out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and yeah, I didn't know if I'd killed somebody. Mm-hmm. It was the scariest. Jesus. How long did you have to wait? Like when you were awake to find out what had happened? Uh, because that would have been the nightmare. I don't for me. know. Like I think it was about an hour after I I came to, but I was so hungover and so sick yeah. uh, from being blacked out that um, I didn't. I was so ill. I mean, yeah. it was just such a blur mess, and um, I ended up I ended up being charged with assault, mm. and my world fell apart. Yeah. Um, I had, I had. Uh, I had this law enforcement career where I swore I'd never hurt anybody and I'd be the one to protect people and I'd be the one to go out there and, and enforce, you know, be in law enforcement and enforce laws and, and be that person. And, uh, I'd done this and it freaking killed me. It killed me. And, uh, I thought that's it. I lost my I've lost my job. I've lost everything that I've ever worked towards. And, uh, I, I felt like I was an absolute piece of crap before. Like Mm -hmm. I always, like I, like I told you, I felt like a horrible person my entire life. And this just took the cake. This Mm -hmm. was it. I was the worst person, um, in my mind. Like I was the lowest of the low Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, yeah, it almost took me out. I, I, all I could think about was suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. because I did not, uh, I didn't know how, I was so far gone into that black hole. Yeah. And at that point, the anger and the twisted thinking and all that stuff had taken me out so much already mm-hmm. that when that happened, I, the only thing I could see out to get a way out was suicide because that black hole that I had just dug myself into, I was looking up out of it and it was impossible. I was never going to be able to claw out. I don't, I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. So, um, Yeah. I just that got like a shiver down my spine, mm-hmm. like the cold that would have been the floor, the concrete floor mm-hmm. in the jail where you have to think about everything that's about to happen to you. Yeah. And of course, in, in our situations, it's worst case scenario, like every time, hey? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm either going to get executed or I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was awful. Like, and, and, and the nature of this disease, and this is the hard part of trying to, Trying to explain this, and even I know, even saying this out loud, someone would be like, oh, she works in, I, I'm, I'm sure there would be people who would listen to this and go, oh my God, she works in law enforcement, she did that, oh my God, she's horrible, what a horrible person, she should never be in law enforcement. I, th- I know there's people out there, I've mm-hmm. met these people, ignorant people, and even I was that way mm-hmm. at the end. My black and white thinking told me the same thing, mm-hmm. bad guys are bad guys, and good people are good people, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no gray area, you're bad or you're good. And, um, so, I mean, it killed, it eh? killed me. It is now I'm like, wow, the gray area is massive Mm -hmm. for everything. And, um, yeah, it was by the grace of God that I've made it six years now from that, Mm -hmm. because that's, that was the worst time of my entire life. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to numb it out and not think about it Mm -hmm. though. Because that's what I used to do with everything for years before I sobered up. Numb everything, stuff it down, don't deal with it. Um, 
and then still try to deal with my distorted, twisted thinking mm-hmm. of I'm That's not a, a good trick. person, you know, and acting, not really ever really feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was so weird. It was so weird. It's so hard. There's so much to try and explain to people mm-hmm. who don't understand addiction. There's so many things I could tell them and so many things I could say right now about the way that I felt before I sobered up and to now. And uh, tell them. it's just so, well, like, I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't addicted to something mm-hmm. ever. Like even when I was a kid, yeah. um, there's always been something. I've always had a hole that I couldn't fill and never felt like I fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. I could be surrounded in a room full of people who loved me and I still didn't fit in and I still didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I needed something outward of myself always to to, to chase a dragon, to try to feel mm-hmm. a whole a little bit for a second. And... Uh, and that's so many years from 13 to, like I said, 32, so many years of playing this game and using something, cigarettes. I started smoking when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Cigarettes or, um, you know, alcohol or sex or something to fill this void um, that by the end, trying to protect myself and not becoming full on addicted to something which I was, I obviously was alcohol, but I was trying not to start smoking cigarettes again or, or use sex or use something, you know, um, in law enforcement, I started to stuff everything down so bad. The horrible things I would see, um, I was stuffing, 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 stuffing to the point near the end that I would be talking to my best friend and she would be telling me that her husband just left her, her dog died and the world is ending and I would sit across of her, from her and I was so good at numbing out everything that I would go, I'm very, you know, I'm very sorry for you. I would say all the right things to her. I felt nothing. I felt nothing for nobody at the end. Can't feel nothing when you're empty, right? I was like, empty yeah. and numbed right out. It was the, it's the weirdest thing to try to explain, but that's, that was, I was a ghost. I was a shell. Um, Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, like, and if I didn't hit that rock bottom, Mm -hmm. it would have been death. I don't even know how else, like, I was, everything was getting lost in my life so rapidly, and my anger was so bad that, I mean, I couldn't even go into a doctor's appointment, and they would be a few minutes late from the actual time of the doctor's appointment. I'd be losing my mind Hmm. on the person at the front desk, losing my mind, like, I couldn't. I couldn't handle anything. Mm-hmm. I had nothing except anger. That's all I saw. I was numb and angry. Mm-hmm. Um, it affected everything. It was affecting my whole life. And uh, my life was honestly, it was, it was, it was bad. It was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But from that self, some pretty cool things happened. It did. So let's... <laughs> Right? Okay, like, okay, let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff it's that happened. It's all both, right? It's all good. I know. It's like before, yeah. during, it's after, right? Perfect. So, um, so after happened? it was good. It was good. Um, I was, I am, I hated um, the, the other agency that had charged me. Mm-hmm. I hated my agency for putting me through everything they did. How dare mm-hmm. they? Um, 
by making me go see a specialist and get di- getting diagnosed an alcoholic and all that stuff. And I was still angry, angry, angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back now and I can be grateful and thankful and, you know, thank you, God, mm-hmm. um, that my agency was supportive. And I ended up uh, getting sent away to treatment. Mm-hmm. So I went to treatment and I was there for seven weeks. Um, so did they hold you longer than everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. He asked knowingly. <laughs> yes, they did. And the reason why they did was because I am truly uh, an addict and uh, a shit show. A shit show. And the first one of the things that I had to do because I'm very much a people pleaser is I wanted to ace it. Mm-hmm. I did not think I was an alcoholic. I thought everybody was full of shit. Even after that horrible rock bottom happened, I was still angry, still thought that it was everybody's fault but mine. Didn't know how to take accountability for anything. Because if I took accountability for something, that means I'm not perfect. So I had to always explain things away, mm-hmm. right? I never could take accountability because that means I'm not perfect and I can't handle that because I need to be perfect and a people pleaser. And But yeah, I tried to ace treatment. I wanted A++. <laughs> I was going to go in there and I was going to do the best freaking <laughs> alcoholic they ever saw. And uh, it didn't work out that way because they knew what I was doing. And they just they kept me longer than... Any of my colleagues that I know that have gone away to treatment since. So, yeah. <laughs> I was in there for seven weeks. And even then, they wanted to keep me longer. But they had already given me a date. And I'm like, nope, holding you to it. Nope, you're letting me out. And, you let uh, me out. I didn't. <laughs> and I still didn't think I was an alcoholic when I got mm-hmm. out. Oh, you didn't? Eh? Nope. Mm-mm. I still didn't think I was. I mm-hmm. still thought in the back of my mind, like, this is something's... And that's how I know now this has got to be some kind of crazy ass disease mm-hmm. because anyone who hears my story is like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, she is an alcoholic <laughs> and she did yes. terrible things. And there's like, and, uh, and I was like, no, you're mistaken. Like there's no yeah. way that I was like, how, what the heck kind of thinking is that? That's how I know for a fact that this is a disease because the rational people do not think these things when that type of stuff happens. Very true. But the rational people would look at me and go, what? Like, mm-hmm. how could you not think you were? Yeah. But I really, truly didn't. The demon in my head yep. told me that it's all good. You're not as bad as that guy. Mm-hmm. You're not as bad as that other guy. You're fine. Remember that movie you saw? You're yeah. Not as bad as that guy. Yeah, as bad as that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, uh, um, it, Thankfully, I did not, I, did, I didn't even attempt suicide. I did have a support system. Very thankful. I did have people who did support me mm-hmm. after everything was said and done. And I did get to go away to treatment um, through my, my organization. Um, but I got out and I still didn't think that I was an alcoholic. So my thing was, <clears throat> I was going to fall on the sword to keep my job. Mm-hmm. Because that's all I had left. Mm-hmm. And um, I lost so much already. And, uh, so I said, okay, I'm just going to do everything they tell me to do. I'm just going to fake it, fake it till I make it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, because if I don't, I could lose my job. So I did. And, uh, one day I swear, and I can't even tell anyone the exact day it was. Um, but I woke up and I was like, I had that ah, mm-hmm. moment of, okay, but life is just better. Like life is just better. So there's something to this mm-hmm. because life's just better. Yeah. And all the things, the insurmountable things that I never thought I'd get through, like having to deal with 
um, that assault Mm -hmm. and having to deal with all the things um, internally with my organization, having to deal with, I never thought I was going to get through any of that. I never thought I was going to make it. And slowly but surely one foot in front of the other, I was getting through that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and good things are happening in my life for the first time. And I can't even remember, um, just good stuff. Just, you know, even like my finances were a mess, but some of that Mm -hmm. was starting to work itself out. And, um, little blessings were happening here and there mm. and life was just better. And mm. yeah, I, and I realized a lot, just things started to sink in. And I mean, an addictions doctor will tell me that my brain was starting to dry out. Mm-hmm. So things were starting to synopsises were starting to fire again and stuff that weren't, well, I, I just, I just felt better and life was getting better and things were mm. getting good for me. And, uh, I was starting to crawl out of the hole. And then with the program of AA, there was other people reaching their hand down into the hole Mm. and helping me get out of it. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was just, it was just awesome. Yeah. It's a pretty cool gig, man. It is a pretty pretty cool cool gig. gig. Yeah. And, um, when I was, I started to feel well and I, I accepted that huge acceptance word. I accepted the fact that I was an alcoholic Mm. And I accepted the fact that I was an alcoholic and in law enforcement mm-hmm. and, you know, a stepmother to children and a wife. And mm-hmm. a, I, I accepted the fact that I was all these things. I could be all these things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that was an amazing feeling, too, because I, I would compartmentalize stuff and like... Yeah. Um, and I really held the law enforcement thing on a pedestal. So I thought if I was an alcoholic, I couldn't be in law enforcement. I was mm-hmm. a bad person. And, uh, now I know I'm just human and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to be better. Mm -hmm. And if I decided to go back out and never come back again and still try to, then that would, that would kill me because this is, I'm choosing to work my recovery. Like my life depends on it because it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm choosing to be who I've always wanted to be. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just went on a tangent. Where did I Not go? Good. I don't know. Bring me back. I don't even know what happened. It was a tangent. I don't even know where was, I went. Where did I go? It was funny. Help me. Was it? Was, it? Fun. was yeah. it? I don't even know. Um, what I'm going to ask you about is uh, the program you started at, yes. your, at your That's where I was getting. I was, However, yes. before, I, before you tell us about it, yes. I got to tell you that I have like some inside information on it. So as you're telling the story, I may interject. If she lies, just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. What was it? Gonna yeah, about the, about the program. <laughs> then I got I her lie. so distracted. Uh, <laughs> no, that is actually uh, part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. That you take accountability for your actions and you don't manipulate and lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm a good girl. I work my recovery. No, I am through my s- story. Like through what happened to me, mm-hmm. um, and you're not just a good girl; you're an awesome girl. So thank go you. On, I appreciate on. that. I, I I actually feel that inside now, where I didn't before. I believe it. I know <laughs> it. So. Um, through my uh, my journey, mm-hmm. um, I realized that one of the things that we were lacking um, in my my organization or in law enforcement was um, an AA meeting. Mm-hmm for people in law enforcement. Um, 
I am totally, I, I totally love the fact and get the fact. I understand that my brain is the same as any other addict in the world, mm-hmm. no, re, regardless of absolutely anything mm-hmm. like, you know, race, religion, um, social status, anything. We, we have the same brains. Mm-hmm. We are addicts and that's alcohol is an equalizer, man. Right. Yep. It is. So I get that. But one of the things I would have a hard time doing going out into the AA world, and I, I, like I said, I'm an AA girl, I would go out into the community and I would talk about everything that I knew I had to talk about now, feelings and all those wondrous things that I never talked about or or did anything with before, but stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Keeps me sober to talk about my feelings out in the world of AA and in the meetings. But I I can never feel comfortable talking about what I did for a living. Mm And I get it because even I had a rock bottom where I was, um, I, I dealt with law enforcement mm-hmm. and so many people because of being addicts mm-hmm. have some kind of story where they've dealt with law enforcement. I, I totally understand that, but it's such a huge part of my life. And at that point I'm trying to meld the two together and I really wanted to, and I really mm-hmm. wanted to talk about some of the stuff you know, with my career and the fact that I am an alcoholic in recovery, mm-hmm. I thought it would be awesome to start a group, an AA meeting that, uh, for people in law enforcement, mm-hmm. so you could talk openly about some of the stuff that you might not feel comfortable out there. Yeah. And, uh, and I did, and it started off with myself and another member, um, sitting across the table from each other for like a few months, <laughs> basically going oh my god no one's ever gonna come to this like what are we thinking like no one's gonna come and uh and now it's been four years Mm -hmm. um that we've done this and it's grown unbelievably yeah so as you know as i know you have inside yeah yeah well i know it's knowledge it's grown lots yes you know me so um so that's amazing Mm -hmm. like you build it they will come Right. So we, so we did. And I get, you know, requests from all over Alberta from law enforcement people to come to our meeting because we're the only one who has one. And, uh, it's, it's so humbling and so amazing to see Mm. everyone come together like that. So, um, it really is. So before you go on, I'm going to tell the story. Sure. So I learned this from someone who was there at the time when Holly presented to all of management, all of management within the organization that she's a part of. And one of the members, one of the members there of the management team is a good friend of mine. And he told me, this was a lo- this was a while ago. So he said, I have never in my life heard anyone so brave. His <laughs> words, I mean it. I'm not making it up. Anyone so brave as that day when he heard you talk. Aww, yeah. That's nice. I mean it. And so, wow. so she skipped over that part where she <laughs> presented all this stuff to people who are not necessarily known as being super open-minded. Right? Yeah. But in that room, apparently there was a lot of like non-dry eyes. Right. And it wasn't just Holly crying, apparently. <laughs> so because it touched a lot of people. So thank you for doing that because what when I called you a soldier for recovery, that's what I meant, is that you braved shit that not a whole lot of people would have braved, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. 
That's why it wasn't done before you. To be honest, the first person to do it is the brave one. Yeah. Right? And, Thank you. Um, you're welcome. It's true. And what the, the consistency and... Um, because what one thing that I've recognized from working with alcoholics and addicts for as long as I have is one thing we really, really, really appreciate is consistency. Right? Is a consistent person, place, or thing that is going to be giving us the same thing every time, right? That's what we want. That's why we go to restaurants, we order the same food because we know it's good, right? And that's not just addicts, of course. That's <laughs> people in general. But yeah. when, when we're dealing with people like you and me who have this chemical dependency, we, we, we absolutely need structure. We don't like it. Yeah. We'll tell you that you get that shit away from us. But we need it and we love it, right? It's kind of like the, uh, there's some readings and one of them, talks about like um we are undisciplined so we let god discipline us now that's that's a little bit of a religious or spiritual tint or whatever on that but it's true we're undisciplined we need something else to discipline us part of our problem is we're undisciplined we're like oh wait a minute i can drink a 40 pounder you want to see me hold my beer i'm going to finish <laughs> that 40 pounder like we just make really undisciplined decisions right yeah because no one in their right mind should drink a 40 pounder <laughs> of anything no. even if it's a freaking slurpee don't do it it's too much like it's just <laughs> too much sugar so sorry i hope i didn't embarrass you but i needed you to say that because i think uh well i don't think that you would have mentioned it no <laughs> so um I still have a problem with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and I can't and even hearing that. it back is like you know. It's, yeah. I still work on my, um, you know, accepting the good accepting things. the good things. Yes, yeah. not feeling like the other shoe's going to drop if I admit that that's mm. a good feeling to have been mm. able to speak that day. You know, like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and yeah. You, like I can only imagine because I speak quite often and I know how like twisted up my guts get, and I have done it for a while and, and a lot. And I still, every time, right? So I can only imagine when, before you got out there and presented. Yeah, it was a, I look back and it's so crazy to me because I, I didn't want anybody in my organization to know. Mm -hmm. I was never going to tell a soul that they had diagnosed me an alcoholic um, because I didn't want to admit it and didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was going to hide it and, even when I started to accept it, I still was like, no, I'm not telling anybody. Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind every time I present now at my, in my organization because I've done so many presentations now going out to talk to all these people in law enforcement. And not just your organization. And not just my organization. Yeah. No, I've gone to other law enforcement mm -hmm. organizations to talk about it too. And I sit there and I'm going, yeah, so I'm Holly and I'm an alcoholic and I'm also in law enforcement with you and I work with you and... And it still blows my mind that mm -hmm. I do that because I'm like, oh, my God, I just did that. Oh, my God, I just did that. Right? Like, I still can't believe that I do it because it's such it was such a that's never going to happen. I'm never going to talk about it. But then for me, what changed was I was hiding it mm -hmm. and I was out there. I was back at work. I was I dealt with all the things I needed to deal with. I mm -hmm. was I own what I did. Mm -hmm. I own my shit show. Mm -hmm. I own what happened. Right. But I was out there and I was back at work and, and, you know, being an alcoholic and living in recovery and going to AA meetings, all these things and being at work and, and loving my job and trying to get back into it. And it, 
being an alcoholic, it's a, it's me. It's a huge part of me. And I was struggling so bad because it's such a big part of me and a huge chunk of my life and what I do, like going to meetings all the time and all mm-hmm. these things and going big book studies and meeting with a sponsor. And I was doing all these things, but I couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it was killing me because I'm like, this is such a huge part of my life, but my job is such a huge part of my life. I can't keep going like this. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting to have to hide something. It's exhausting to have to lie about where I'm going, right? I was living two different worlds and trying to do this, not be me. Mm -hmm. And I'd spent so many years not knowing who I was or being me Mm because I didn't know who was me because I hated me that I was like, I can't do this anymore. For my own recovery, my own sake, I Mm -hmm. needed to get it out there. And then I was, I was, I I talked about it and I was getting it out there. And what did you start to feel about that? terrified yeah. <laughs> i was terrified but you did it anyway and even doing this this podcast is yeah. scaring me a little bit but it, yeah. it's all very scary and like i said i've done so many presentations mm-hmm. in in my organization and coming out and i'm full-on like i'm an alcoholic hey mm-hmm. a lot of you know me already and this is what i am and and uh yeah, but you don't just do it to say who you are like there's a caveat to it she there says, is this is who i am and if you yes. need help yes you can call me yes we'll just add that on there we should add that on there in case she wasn't going to mention that part of it too. i will i know <laughs> so um so yeah it was it was it was uh it, yeah it just it blows my mind that that's where i ended up but yes so i did start up the AA meeting for people in law enforcement mm-hmm. and that's grown incredibly every year and um Another thing that I was blessed to get to do was have some supportive people in my organization who realize that this is a real thing, mm-hmm. um, that the culture that we have in law enforcement and that the, uh, you know, with with my experience and uh, story and journey, um, recognize that an addictions type program would be mm-hmm. amazing yeah. um, for within the organization. And because my thing was, is that, yes, I got sent away to treatment that was amazing. I got, I got sent away to treatment that was amazing, but um, it was lonely. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I was alone. Like there wasn't, I didn't know anybody, like there wasn't very, very many people ever out there yeah. in the organization, in this law enforcement organization saying that they were alcoholics. Yeah. So it was very lonely. And I wanted something that we had like a peer support program in place for for people struggling with addiction mm-hmm. within our organization um, that if something happens and they and they want to self-disclose or, you know, mm-hmm. they want to come out and, and get help, mm-hmm. then there will always be people there for them yeah. to, to hold their hand um, at the worst time in their life. Because yeah. it, it's never, nobody ever comes into this going... Oh my God, I'm an addict. Yeah, so great. Yeah, life is <laughs> Life is wonderful right now and I'm totally an addict. Like, no, that's not, that is not the reality. <laughs> I've never seen anybody hop, skip and a friggin' hopscotch their way into the recovery. Like, meeting. woohoo! I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> their first meeting and they're like, oh my God, this is so great. I love it. I can't wait to just not drink. I, totally, yeah. <laughs> this is the best ever. It's the best you day. Know, like, I walked in and I was still, I walked into my first AA meeting, I was still crying <laughs> beer by the time I got there, like it was that fresh, right? Like, yes. Brutal. Yeah. That that's awful. That's the reality. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I just, some other people in very similar, a similar organization, mm-hmm. uh, similar experiences 
and dealing with, you know, addiction or whatever and, and helping with not just alcohol, but any type of addiction, process addictions, mm -hmm. you know, lots of stuff. And again, I know I, I can even hear myself talking and people would think it's so shocking. Oh my God, you know, people in law enforcement can't be addicts. Well, yeah, they can because people are freaking human. Yeah. Do you not think there's like, do you people are non-humans get into different careers like doctors? You think there's absolutely no addicted doctors yeah. or no, like <laughs> there's somewhere, there's actually some careers that attract addicts <laughs> that are like those, 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 those saving yeah. careers of doctors, nurses, um, police officers, mm -hmm. like all these different things. So it's, uh, It'd be shocking to people, but that is just the way it is. This yeah. is this is life. It's real. It's it's human. It's rough. We're humans. Yeah. Last time I checked, I was a human. Everybody's a human, right? <laughs> Except when I was 13, I peed on that chair and I thought I was a dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That, that reminds I, apparently, me. I didn't think I was human then. Oh my god. I can't goodness. remember though. It's so funny you talk about that. So you talk about a pee story. I got to give you a pee story. To oh, balance here we go. Out. Oh, look so, what I did. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, but it's only fair. No, I know. Right? It's, it's fair. You can give so us a story. Pee story. I'm leaving this party downtown. Obviously, I was still drinking, so it was a long time ago. And I'm not going to say the names of the guys because, uh, frankly, I'm not sure I remember them correctly anyway. But we were there. I used to play ball hockey all the time back before I hurt my back and I became a uh, relatively immobile individual. <laughs> um, so we were... I think it was like the 18th floor. It was like a high-rise apartment downtown. And I remember coming out of the... But it was one of those. They had a camera in the elevator. Okay? So I went to go back in the house, and they wouldn't let me back in. Because obviously, I was a shit show, too. Because they had all said, dude, you got to go. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? I'm in the elevator, and I could see the camera. And I'm almost certain... Well, I'm so paranoid anyway, because I'm like getting dope sick at this point. Mm. And I'm drunk and dope sick, which sucked. So... I'm like in the elevator and I'm looking up at the camera and I think, oh, I'll show those pricks. I peed all over that elevator. Oh my gosh. All over it. I didn't just pee on the buttons. I peed on the roof. Like I was swinging my dong around like it was a, one of those, what do they call those things? Lasso. Oh my God. Except it was a really small lasso. That's can fine. You, are you um, allowed to say dong? <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah. Um, that happened. Yeah, it totally happened. Oh and then I get down to the bottom. <laughs> I get down to the main floor. As I'm leaving, they got the intercoms that come from the, apart from the apartments to the front. So apparently they're watching me on the camera down there too. So when I get by the intercom, the one guy goes, if you're down there, when we get down there, <laughs> like you're going to be sorry. That's and I terrible. said, and so my answer was, oh, really? Well, I'm just going to have a seat on this bench. They never came down. I was oh, so sad. So they didn't finally, want you to pee on them. I know. <laughs> they thought maybe I still had more pee or I was going like, to Well, apparently it. if you're hitting the ceiling and everything in the elevator, you had a lot in there. So yeah, they probably well, yeah, were like, no, we don't want this guy to pee on us. I'm a pretty good sized fella, oh, right? My. And back then I, I was like lifting lots. So I could hold a lot of booze, man. That's so I, funny. Yeah. I could drink almost a keg, it seemed like at times. <laughs> probably not an actual keg. I'm making that up. <laughs> so anyone out there going, if you had a keg, that'd be this much... Oh, he'd be dead. He's not, he never drank a keg. You're right. I never drank a keg. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted no lies, you. No lies. I know. No, no lies. lies on this. No lies. Yeah. No, I have. That's, yeah, yeah. I think that's. So I thank you very much. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh, been yeah. really good. Like, it's been awesome. Um, you're an incredible human, eh? Like, and we like to, we like to say that because. There are lots of incredible humans. 
you know, and really what we, what we always want to do, I think is highlight people who are doing good shit, right? Like, and, um, I know, so from my perspective of what I've seen happen, um, in that organization and other organizations identical to it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, um, that this progression of being able to talk about it. Yes. Like the progression of, um, uh, this past year, you guys invited me to, to the bell. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And like, I looked up in the audience at this thing and, um, all I could see were people from the management groups. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, wow. Like, I wonder before you started your thing. And I honestly, I mean this, like, it's kind of nice to be kind of on the ground floor with you. Right. Cause it's like, what was it like before you did that talk? I bet you those people weren't there, mm. right? I bet you there was none of this like um, mental health awareness, all this health and wellness, all this stuff that all these large organizations are doing now. Like that stuff wasn't there before people like yourself started talking. Hey, yeah, it's been um, it's been a, honestly like a hashtag blessed journey yeah. for me because um, I'm I'm grateful that I'm I'm I've been actually able to branch out and help. Uh, EMS mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the fire, like CFD, mm-hmm. things like that, being able to go and talk to, talk to them and help out their organizations too, not just law enforcement organizations. Mm-hmm. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a one, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah. And sometimes I want to pinch myself because I can't believe mm-hmm. like the me from seven years ago to the me now and what's going on in my life mm-hmm. now and where I was that uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Yeah. I mean, well, everything's transformed, eh? Everything's transformed. Like I was going through a divorce and and I was about to lose my job and I'd lost so many friends and I was just drinking and stuffing and couldn't feel anything anymore to having, you know, um, husband that I absolutely adore and is so so supportive. He is so awesome. (laughs) Like I'm, (laughs) I'm not even being biased. Like he is just awesome. He is an awesome dude. He is such an awesome dude. I've known him for quite a while. Yeah. And, um, just blessed, just blessed in all aspects, like everything. So it's, you know, I know they always tell you in the rooms to write your gratitude list if you're feeling mm-hmm. like itchy, bitchy, twitchy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it really does help because you, like there's so many good things when you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. It just life is good. Yeah. Things happen. You know, you're not out there peeing on someone's lawn or or in their elevator or in their elevator <laughs> or on a chair somewhere or, no- you know, it's like it's so funny. I was like embarrassed to tell people I'm an alcoholic, but I would pee on someone's chair or I would try to punch out a bridesmaid. That's okay. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, because those are funny stories. But how could I tell anyone that I'm an alcoholic? But that's okay. I'll go pee on your lawn because I'm so drunk. I don't. But I won't say that I'm an alcoholic. That's oh, the, sweet lord. Yes. I know that's the only way those stories are funny. Unless you, until you say that I was an alcoholic, then people are like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Then it's like, like oh my did. god, you peed on the chair. That's awesome. Oh, I'm. It's because I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, they're like, drunk? oh, oh. oh. Then they get all awkward and they don't want to look at you anymore. They're like, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't blame people when they got tired of looking at me all slobbering drunk all the time. Like, I really don't blame them for being like, yeah, I think we've had enough of you. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So thanks. Thank you again. Yes. No, thank you for it's having awesome. me. It's, um, it's good. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. I would like to thank some people for not only supporting the podcast, but for supporting our organization, Freedom's Path Recovery Society, 
from the ground up. I would like to say a huge thank you to Wild Rose United Church for their open-hearted giving to the community at large. They have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do every day. A special thank you again, Darcy Robinson, for not only running Thanks, Darcy. Running this podcast, but for sharing your expertise, time, passion, and all of the equipment. Man, you're amazing, dude. Seriously. At some point, he's going to probably just look at me and go, dude, yeah, we're done doing this stuff. <laughs> he is doing it as a volunteer as well. And dude, simply, we just can't thank you enough, man. You know? Um, and don't, don't worry. I'm going to do it every week. So you're going to have to go through this every week. <laughs> yeah. And I was, the truth is, I am not here without each of these uh, next folks, which are our board of directors. Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimmerskern. I always mess up your last name, Christine. I'm so sorry. I'll just call you Pim uh, from <laughs> now on. Heather Morjo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. Uh, thank you, Trent Baker, for your, for your and your group's continued support, both financially and spiritually, to me along the way. Thank you for believing even when there were times when your belief and courage allowed me to regain my own. Thank you, my friend. To all the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society, which is now a charity. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering with addiction. Process, chemicals, stigma, identity, the effects on family and loved ones, etc. Mental illness, codependency, and the multitude of difficulties human beings bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. Oh, it's a mouthful. I'm so going to edit this. Um, last but not least, thank you, Holly. Thanks for sharing your truth with us um, and for anyone willing to listen. You know, it's been incredible. Uh, it's, I'm just really grateful. I get tongue-tied because I'm, I'm grateful that you're one of my friends, too. Oh, you, know? you too, buddy. And I appreciate you. Um, if you're close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe not. Some days, I imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say to them? If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or hoping to make a donation, please contact, contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. Talk about a mouthful or at, on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. I'm David Lurie, and thank you very much. Good night.